Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. webcast finally giving that voice to nearly five million young adults affected by cancer. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the stupid cancer show is on the air. Welcome to tonight's broadcast, my friends. We are here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time and share all of our collective crapness. This broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young Fitness Cancer Foundation, one of the nation's leading grassroots advocates for the next generation of survivors and co-survivors. You see, it's all about us, folks, and we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight and sticking it to a system that's ignored us for far too long. The past three decades of cancer progress have failed the next generation, so there's no reason to think the next 30 will be any different unless change happens right here right now so join us and be the change that needs to happen hell we invented google facebook and twitter we kept sanjaya on american idol all those weeks we can do anything we want this is generation cancer and it is our fight and our duty to give back to our own we have the sheer numbers the voting power and the influence to change those rules because remission is not an excuse for cure, and survivorship is all that really matters. Last week's show, season six premiere, with special guest Johnny Ehrman from Ehrman Angels, and the band No Evidence of Disease, Nemesh Nigersheth and Joni Hope, doctors at uh, New York University School of Medicine and uh, Mount Sinai Medical Center, respectively. Tonight's show is... Brand Drescher and the Cancer Schmancer Movement in our artist spotlight tonight. The one and only Brandon Schott, young adult survivor of germ cell cancer, singer-songwriter, contributing artist to the iToy Benefit CD Volume 2. Lori Meadoff, founder of City Kids Foundation and the CEO of Cancer Schmancer, and the one and only returning champion, Brand Drescher, uterine cancer survivor, Emmy-nominated actor, founder and visionary of Cancer Schmancer, author of Interwining and Cancer Schmancer. 
too many credentials to list, folks. So hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another fun-filled and exciting round through the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, and a Stupid Cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Coming at you live from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan, I am your host, one of your hosts, that is Matthew Zachary, a 14-year young adult pediatric brain cancer survivor. Joining me live in the studio tonight, as always, our chief cancer anarchist, Jack Buffard. Hello, Jack. What's up, Maddie boy? How you doing? Jack will be monitoring our live concurrent interactive chat room. So if you have something to say or a question for Fran, let Jack have it and grill him with small questions to stump his little brain. Hey. Yes, that's you. And it is always, uh, for the second time, my absolute pleasure to welcome my brand new official partner in crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show, hailing right here from New York City, young adult survivor, acclaimed journalist, former deputy editor of TV Guide, and former entertainment news correspondent for the Fox News Channel, the beautiful, talented, and fantastic Lisa Bernhard. Welcome Matthew. back. Welcome back. Thank you so much. She came back. How come her intro was so much better and longer and more complimentary than mine? Because she's attractive and you're not. No, I was just going to say, oh, you're, well, be- you're beautiful, man, Jack. You are beautiful. <laughs> so, Lisa, what inspired you to come back? <laughs> we didn't scare you off last Monday. You know, it was debatable, actually. I got, I got, I got as far as the front door. I did take a, turn around take a couple steps the other direction. I said, no, come on, give it another chance. I'm, no, I'm thrilled to be here. We had a lot of fun last week. I'm uh, looking forward to tonight's show very, very much. And uh, we, what can I say? Today's my father's birthday, so that's a good day. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mr. Bernhard. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Um, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good cold day here in New York City. The show's going to be great. Fran Drescher, of course, right up my alley, covering entertainment. That is so true. So I'm excited about that. Fran Drescher was in one of the best movies ever made. You know what movie I'm talking about, Matt? Not a clue. Jack. Was that the one with Robin Williams? That's the one with Robin Williams, yeah. And uh, she played his schoolmate's uh, mother. Oh, that's oh, you know, you only like that movie because it's about a 10-year-old who looks like a 40-year-old. Mm-hmm. But you're like a 34-year-old who acts like a 10-year-old. Yeah, it's the best movie ever. Oh, my God. But I'm chum. But I'm chum. It's a good yeah. movie. Do I even have that? I don't have the rim shot on my, yeah, we, my we, we need anymore. the rim shot. Oh. I think she also had one. She had one line in Saturday Night Fever, didn't she? No, she was just on the dance floor. She just danced with John Travolta. I thought she actually got paid for one speaking. Well, well maybe we'll have to clarify that. <laughs> I'm sure she'll be thrilled <laughs> to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's look, it's a it's a great thing. People oh. want to reminisce about their careers, and she's got. I found it. Oh, <laughs> nice. There you go. Okay, a little late to the to the game, but well, I still haven't gotten the joke yet, so <laughs> that was like good timing. <laughs> so, Lisa, what have you been up to this week? What have I been up to this week? Wow. Well, working on a couple stories. Uh, got tremendous feedback, actually, from being on the show last week, which was really, really nice. You're welcome. Lots well, of tell fo- me about it. Of, I don't know this. Lots of folks tweeting and Facebooking and friending and all kinds of uh, virtual uh, online happenings going on. Yeah, shook things up. That was very nice to see. See, Jack, it's possible to have friends. I am... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Maybe I'll have a friend by Valentine's Day. Did you see that my my father or my father-in-law commented on your Facebook page that you have? Why do you have? It a, was your dad. It was my dad. Yeah, yeah. he 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 asked if I really had like three thousand five hundred something Facebook. Yeah, my father, at least my father, who's on Facebook, wrote on Jack's wall, 
How do you have 3,500 friends? Look, I just found out that Jack has groupies tonight. I'm He's actually got groupies. I'm, look, I'm looking at my Facebook page right now. I'm at 3601. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, friends at like, actually, I, Evan Handler's at like 4,900. You can only yeah. have 5,000. You can tap, yeah, you tap out at 5,000. And if you send a friend request to somebody who's already like at the limit, yeah. it says this person has too many friends. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay, because when I reach that moment, I'll just like unfriend people like Philbert and Dory and Kelly Johnson. And, yeah, exactly. You know. Exactly. Well, so you don't notice, has that, do you notice when people unfriend you, you can't possibly with that many I friends? I don't. As a matter of fact, uh, my my uh, one of the oncologists at my cancer center and one of my nurses came up to me during my last visit and were like, hey, you know, I'm really sorry I had to unfriend you on Facebook, but we had this policy come out through the hospital that like we're not allowed to have patients as Facebook friends. And I looked at them and I said, I had no idea. I was like, when did this happen? And they were like, two months ago. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even know. Oh boy. Facebook etiquette. Yeah. Well. But well, it's not about the qual. It's not about the quality of your friends. It's the quantity. Apparently, these days I've learned that like the numbers are just all that matters. There's no substance to it. It's sad. Right. It's a bizarre, bizarre world. But we're happy to have the support. It's it's a great way. It is look for our purposes. Fantastic way to communicate with people. Yes. And uh, we're, we're we're loving it. The one percent rule just makes that much more sense. Right. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to bring this up tonight because I didn't want to give it any more attention than it needed. But the fact that you are a breast cancer survivor, I had to. You know, I, I just I just changed my mind. I want to talk about it. <laughs> right, and, and this man. is that ridiculous bra color phenomenon that hit, hit Facebook yeah, this week. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on, on its uselessness or usefulness? Well, that's an interesting thing. Um, I, I did not participate in it. And, of course, as you mentioned, being a breast cancer survivor, when you get somebody sends something like that to you, you feel like this is something that you should pay attention to. And then you're thinking, well, how can you ignore it if you don't and then you're wondering well what is what good is it going to do and what is this really and the color of the bra and what does that have to do with anything so i did not participate and i think probably like you matthew felt to to what end is this what what's going on and i think there have been a number of blogs and things that have been written since that have addressed exactly that point am i right I agree. Well, yeah. I'm actually going to write my blog tomorrow because I don't think it's the color of the bra that's important i think the size is is what matters so if everyone posted their bra size that would that would create a lot more awareness for me. Just on your <laughs> just on your Facebook page, Jack. That's fine. And that's why Jack's on the show. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I was quoted actually in a Huffington Post piece today, which is really exciting, uh, by uh, Donna Tremel. I think that's her name. Um, it, it, I'm gonna mess. She's gonna hate me if I pronounce it wrong. But she's the blogger for the Huffington Post and a really great healthcare blogger. Yeah. I said that awareness is like air. It's fluff. It means nothing without action. Right. And but there are people that I don't know if they get it or not. I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I I don't believe awareness makes a difference unless it's a call to action and you get a small percentage of people to do something about it. And it has to be strategized and measured. And this was there was no strategy. Jack, sit up. <laughs> I'm the smallest person here. Matthew and I can't see each other if you yeah. sit up. Oh, you know you'd rather look at me anyway. You're a slouch fiend. But like, I'm I'm a huge I'm just a, I'm a wonk in terms of outcomes and measurability because I work in nonprofits and most people don't. So I don't know if if I have a skewed perspective or not. But is there purpose to awareness if there's no substance to it? Well, I, I think when you're talking about breast cancer, there's so much awareness about breast cancer at this point. It's one thing if you're bringing awareness to some sort of illness or some situation around the world that very few people are actually aware of. You know, then, then awareness is like actual awareness. Right. Oh, we didn't know about this, and that you're getting people up. But at this point, um, 
breast cancer, we are well aware of breast cancer. We're well aware of the numbers, um, and there's a huge effort, obviously, with many uh, fine organizations uh, towards working towards breast cancer and breast cancer uh, cures and you know research and all sorts of things. That at this point, something like a Facebook bra episode really seems particularly irrelevant. And how do you feel about? Um, there were, were wonderful comments from so many fabulous blogs that people wrote and, and op-eds about this whole phenomenon that happened. Uh, that breast cancer is such a popular cancer that everyone feels, everyone else that doesn't have the popular cancer feels so left out of the ability to feel this sense of community awareness that no one's aware that there's cervical cancer, no one's aware that there's you know pancreatic cancer, no one's aware that there's brain cancer. Everything's pink and breast, and breasts are really easy because they're like. You know the the sexual meme of our culture them. and our civilization. <laughs> you can see them; they're right yeah. there. And oh yes, you can. You, you can't see a uterus as easily. <laughs> no, no, I don't think I don't want to either. Yeah. <laughs> There's some good breasts on Jersey Shore. <laughs> oh God. Well, no, we were not going to talk about Jersey Shore, Jack. Yeah. Be quiet, Jack. Go back to your TV after the show. Can no, I watch, Matthew, I'm going to go back to watching The Bachelor. It's it's, it's true. It's true, Matthew. But the thing is, look, you're talking about numbers that are one in eight. Yeah. So the the prevalence of it. Everybody knows somebody who's had breast cancer. And there are, you know, Komen, there are major, enormous organizations out there. Right. And to your point of are we oversaturated with the pink nausea where a corporation looks like they're doing something if they slap a pink ribbon on something. But I think, you know, the sheer numbers, first and foremost, saturate the cancer market, for lack of a better term. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I got, I got like almost 40 comments on a post that I put, which is pretty much that I don't really care what this is as long as it's not making some douchebag company money. And taking advantage of customers and consumers that we are, so with with that there was no harm in this because I didn't didn't it wasn't like a um, a breast cancer action type of opportunity where they would come out with a press release slamming Yo Play or anything. There was no corporate meme behind it. It was just you know some it, or maybe there was and we don't know. And it was just so maybe J J Adams was behind it because he's the perfect guy that would just subvertly put these strange things into our culture and get us talking about it. But like I said, I I'm I'm not a fan of meaningless awareness. Uh, I think there has to be a proven strategy. I think there has to be measurability. And I think you have to call people to action. And when one person says, well, it reminded me to go get a breast exam or to check my breast in the shower, yeah, that's fine. But, but is the pink M&M really going to do that? No, pink M&M is not going to do that. Well, I think also another thing, sort of dovetailing off of our conversation about Facebook and Twitter here, we are so bombarded with so many images and so much call to action and uh, everybody tweeting about one thing or another, that you do just kind of want to streamline into what's important here. And there's just a glut of information coming at us. So more to your point of let's keep something real and let's keep something active and we can leave other stuff that seems like sort of fluff, let that fall by the wayside. Got it. Can I make one more point while they're on this talk? It's something we talked about last week just real quick. Sure. Um, Because you did bring up my situation and I sort of uh, went over what I had been through and how I'd written this piece for uh, about reconstruction and the lack of uh, information. This is a self-magazine piece. Self-magazine piece, yes, and and how there's a lack of um, information that's been given to women about reconstruction. I I just wanted to quickly add that... um, I'm not an advocate for reconstruction per se. If women out there don't want to have breast reconstruction, more power to you. I'm an advocate for choice, and so I did, didn't want to come off as saying uh, that you know at women any decision that anybody makes for themselves uh, in healing themselves is uh, right for them as long as they have all the information. So uh, that's it. Thank you for letting me uh, <laughs> have this little have this little moment, but just wanted to clarify that and. Uh, I wanted to um, introduce everybody back to um, a, a lovely young lady who joined the show last week, but she is now officially our uh, broadcast production assistant 
on the Stupid Cancer Show. Please say hello to the one and only Amanda Freeman. Hello, Amanda. Yeah. So, um, so welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show as our official broadcast production assistant. We're really excited. Me too. So w- what type of stuff are you going to do for us? Um, well, today mainly I did a lot of reading so that I can come up with good things that we can talk about in the future. That's fantastic. I saw you were scanning our bookshelf and, like, mesmerized by the UPC barcodes, correct? Oh, they're fantastic. <laughs> I mean, they're just floating around in my brain. I'm super happy. Do you have any one particular book uh, in mind that you read that just shot out at you that we can probably have that author on later this season? Um, I have not read. Um, I'll tell you the majority of the books on that shelf, but I was really, really just – I really loved Anti-Cancer. And uh, okay. I would love to meet this guy. I mean, that book just had so much information inside that it just yeah, was that's David David Sherman Schneid, Schreiber, Schreiber, something like that. Yeah, he'll kill me too for mispronouncing it. I'm Sorry, David, if you're listening. I apologize yeah. too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so welcome to the show. Amanda will be joining us every week, most likely, and uh, we're really excited to have her. So thank you, Amanda. All right, thank you. All right. You don't have to give it back to Jack. We don't need to hear from him. <laughs> I was going to say, I actually just posted a picture of Amanda sleeping on the couch in the chat room. Oh, you didn't post me sleeping on the couch in the chat room? Well, that's on the site, too. So okay, fabulous. It's on the fan page on Facebook for the Fantastic. Movie. Please wrestle that mic back from him, Amanda. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Let's do the news. Uh, all right. Now it's time for the Stupid Cancer News. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. During this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce worthy news stories to our adoring listeners to inform them about the latest and greatest in free national young adult programs, services, events, projects, and other stuff that you'd love to be a part of. If you have an upcoming program, event, service, or press release that you'd like to hear broadcast during this segment of the Stupid Cancer Show, please fax it to us at 877-794-6902. Or email Jack Buffard at jack at i2y.com. Thank you, Matthew. And here's your stupid cancer news. Head on over to events.i2y.com. Events.i2y.com is the official social calendar of the Omsi Young for the Cancer Foundation. Upcoming events are as follows. This Thursday, January 14th at Mario's in New York City, I2Y is proud to present our Stupid Cancer Winter Wonderland Cancerversary Party. What the heck is a Stupid Cancer Cancerversary Party, you ask? Well, it's just like an unbirthday party, only the complete opposite. So grab your friends and come out for a night celebrating the cause. There will be drink specials, and like all other I2Y events, there is no cover. Speaking of no cover, you won't need to part ways with your loonies or tooties when attending Stupid Cancer Taco Time. Stupid Cancer Taco Time is being held Tuesday, January 26th at the Under the Volcano in London, Ontario, Canada. Yaks of D.C. is the Young Adult Survivor Support Community made possible by our friends at Smith Farm. Join them on the first Tuesday of the month for various group events and wellness activities. Upcoming events are as follows. Saturday, January 16th, ice skating at the National Gallery of Art Sculpture Garden. And on February 18th, Lisa Goldstein will be presenting the First Ascent Program and showing the camp documentary at the February meetup. 
I will be there, along with the fabulous Tamika Felder of Tamika and Friends, the somewhat fabulous Johnny Everman of <laughs> Everman Angels, and Mr. Handsome himself, Brad Ludden of Brad Ludden, me, Johnny, and Brad, hanging with Tamika in D.C., man. All events are held at Smith Farm, and for more information, please call area code 202-483-8600 or email yaksofdc at gmail.com. Also happening on February 18th, Matthew Zachary will be keynoting at the I2Y Insurance Boot Camp for Young Adults. Everything you need to know, but we're too afraid to ask or too poor to consider because you're, <laughs> you're in insurance debt hell. This insurance boot camp is being held at the NYU Langone Medical Center in New York City. So, Matt, I'm sorry you and I won't be able to hang out in D.C. that night. Oh, this was done on purpose. Yeah. Wait, what? But, uh, yeah, this if, if you're in the New York metro area, definitely look into coming to this uh, insurance boot camp because there's a lot of awesome information that you need. Calling all young adult cancer survivors in Bend, Oregon. Defeat Cancer, Young Adult Survivors Network is forming a group for you. If you were diagnosed with cancer before age 45, please join us for our first meeting tomorrow, January 12th, at the St. Charles Medical Center. To RSVP for this meeting, which includes a light supper, or to learn more about this event, visit www.defeatcancer.info. The New York City chapter of the Leukemia Lymphoma Society presents Writing for Your Life, a journal writing workshop for cancer survivors. The focus of this workshop is to use writing as a means to empower the cancer patient during diagnosis, treatment, and recovery, and will be led by a leukemia survivor and author Deborah Ludwig. There are five Wednesday evening sessions beginning January 13th, and to register for Writing for Your Life, contact Maria Feeney at area code 212-376-4770. Attention young adult survivors in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. The Leukemia Lymphoma Society is proud to present their Lone Star Blood Cancer Conference Saturday, February 27th at the UT Southwestern Medical Center. This is a free event with limited seating, so to register for this event, please call the Dallas Leukemia Lymphoma Society at 800-800-6702. Are you a young adult cancer survivor who would like to begin an exercise program? If so, the National Cancer Institute is funding survivors step into motion. For more information regarding this program, contact Santina Horowitz at area code 401-793-8124. First Descent is excited to announce their 2010 camp schedule. Head on over to www.firstdescents.org to check out the dates and locations as well as the date applications for each camp. Climbing camps are being held in Estes Park, Colorado, and Moab, Utah, while kayaking camps are offered in White Salmon, Washington, Kalispell, Montana, and Vail, Colorado. Camp Make a Dream has released their 2010 calendar. Head on over to campdream.org for more information. They are hosting an ovarian cancer retreat, Young Adult Survivors Conference, Young Adult Conference, Teen Heads Up Conference, a teen camp, a siblings camp, a kids camp, a heads-up conference, an ovarian cancer retreat, and a women's cancer retreat. So for more information about Can't Make a Dream, head on over to campdream.org. Cancer Cares Women's Cancer Program invites patients, survivors, and caregivers to a workshop on nutrition and well-being. Please join Betsy Karp, an intuitive healer and wellness coach, 
who provides individuals with personalized roadmaps with a personalized roadmap to wellness. Her journey to the answers combines connecting with the inner being, empowering the spirit, and nourishing the soul. This program is being offered at Cancer Care's national office in New York City on Wednesday, January 27th. Reservations are required and space is limited. To register for this event, contact Laura Musiello, director of the Women's Cancer Program at area code 212-712-6133. Next up, we have 70K.org. That's the word 70, the letter K.org. There are approximately 70,000 people aged 15 to 39 diagnosed with cancer every year. For over two decades, there's been little or no improvement in survival for this age group. By signing this bill, you are supporting the Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Bill of Rights to be established as a standard for care to meet the needs of this underserved population. Moving on to cancer care programs, the young adult groups that are active in running at cancer care are as follows. Living with cancer, life after cancer, young adults loss of a parent, young women with breast cancer, young adult grief counseling, and young adult caregiver for all diagnoses and relationships. Head on over to cancercare.org for more information about all of these wonderful groups. And finally, we have LiveOn, sperm banking by mail for cancer patients. Trust me, guys, you don't want to do what I did. Mailing sperm without a LiveOn kit is frowned on by our federal government. For more information on sperm banking by mail, head on over to www.liveonkit.com. Live Sperm Banking by Mail is made possible by our good friends at Fertile Hope, and I would like to send a big thank you to the law firm of Dewey, Scroom and Howe for clearing up my embarrassing situation with the United States Postal Service. And on a personal note, I want to send uh, a good luck out to my friend Karen Diamond from Connecticut. She's getting uh, some uh, results of her most recent PET scan that may show some activity on Wednesday, so Karen, I'm sending big hugs to you and Craig's way, and I also want to send a, uh, a hello and a good luck out to Dory Plate's sister, Janina, who's having thyroid cancer surgery tomorrow. So the whole Plate family is in our thoughts and prayers. And that, my friends, is your stupid cancer news. All righty. Nice. You're a pro, Jack. No, he's not. <laughs> 926. You sound like one of the anchors that used to work with the Fox News. All right, Art. Artist Spotlight tonight is a uh, Los Angeles-based producer and troubadour. Brandon Schott just released his second LP, Golden State, uh, back in 2007, when he was diagnosed with stage 3 germ cell cancer, now in his 15th month of remission, he has turned his cancer experience back into his musical community by founding the organization Artists for Healing and readying his third LP, Dandelion, for release. He recently headed up Turning Toward the Sun, a phenomenal benefit for I2Y in Los Angeles. He's a great guy. We're going to listen to one of his songs tonight. Please welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the one and only Brandon Schott. Hello, Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Hey. Hi, how's it going? Hey, Brandon. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Happy my New friend. Happy New Year to you. Congratulations on helping us put together an extraordinary event in L.A. in December. Thank you. Man, the pleasure was all mine. Uh, it, it was all mine. I mean, the... The, the wonderful people that I got to work with, um, you know, it just—it was just a real treat to, to, to be involved. Fantastic, fantastic. So um, tell us, uh, what the hell is uh, germ cell cancer? <laughs> it sounds well, kind of dirty. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's very, very, uh, well, it's not unusual. In, in my case, it was unusual because it's, it's the germ cell 
uh, is, I guess, the, the clinical name for testicular cancer. Uh, however, in my case, uh, it's actually the, the primary tumor was located in my chest. So, wow. Um, so I had a, a, a primary tumor in my chest that went to stage three and spread to other parts of my lungs. So, um, yeah, ball cancer in the chest. There it is. How did you detect it, Brandon? What were your symptoms? I was uh, I was very exhausted, um, which in and of itself wasn't really a surprise to me. I mean, I I, I have a full time job and a, and and a and a music career and a family, so sure. the exhaustion wasn't really. Um, anything new, however, that and combined with some mild chest pains and then eventually shortness of breath. <laughs> um, on a Saturday morning, I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and be a little um, overreactive and go to the emergency room so they can send me home and I can have peace of mind, which they almost did. <laughs> almost. <laughs> they almost did. They were actually processing my, uh, my exit um, paperwork. And the attendings at the at the ER changed, and the woman who came on had, had uh, by the stroke of God, had a uh, or, um, a daughter that went through breast cancer, um, and and, um, and had you know no knew what uh, was the, the signs and, and took another. Sorry, look. Brandon. Can we ask you to talk up a little bit? Sure. No, I'm sorry. No problem. Oh, much better. Uh, there you go. Uh, but yeah, she took another look look at, a look at my uh, chest X-ray and saw the signs and uh, kept me there. <laughs> Wouldn't let me leave. So uh, I was very, very lucky. Wow. And is there uh, an age range that's typical for this particular type of testicular cancer or no? Um, it's, I mean, I was told it was literally like a one, one in a hundred thousand type of thing. It was, it's really, really rare. Um, if you're going to do it, do it right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, no, I'm not aware of, of, I'm sure there's a, a statistic somewhere, but I'm not aware of one. So, you were a musician from the get-go. I mm -hmm. assume you probably started very early on. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. were writing music with, you know, or before, through, and after this experience. Yeah. You know, you've been on the show before, but I love, I, was, I loved your answer when we asked you this the first time. I want to hear it again. How did going through this crapness uh, influence the way that you write music? Um, uh, well, it accelerated it. It's, uh, I mean, it, 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 uh, I mean, it, it affected it in that, in that, you know, this, this, this record, the, the new record, Dandelion, is very much a part of, of my healing. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, 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 these were all songs that were, that were born out of, out of this experience and helped me understand it for myself and, um, you know, as a, as a way of, of kind of understanding it and maybe also reaching out to the world <laughs> around me as well and connecting with other like folks such as yourselves and, and kind of all of us coming to understand it together. So I don't know if that's the answer that I gave the first time, but, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's definitely put a, a bigger uh, fire under my ass to... Uh, to, to you know, make my uh, make my music and, and my life count for something. And are there days and moments where you think, I really can't talk to anybody else about this. I've got to just strictly get this out through my music. Um. Well, there's 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 a there's a certain intangible quality uh, to 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 feeling <laughs> to being an emotional person, and and and. and 
a true understanding um, that I think you can really only express through music sometimes, at least for me. And um, so, yeah, there, there, there would absolutely be times where, I, um, you know, the, 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 the backing track um, for, for, for Fire Season on the record is a good example of that. That's, I mean, that it's not, not as much in the lyric, but in, in the, the construction of, of the production is very much like the, me digging into, you know, the fearful side of what I went through. And um, I, don't, I don't know that I could express that in words necessarily. So, so. sorry, it's, uh, just if I could chime in here, I want to get to this track. Uh, I chose to play Turning Toward the Sun, um, can you tell us, like, in 30 seconds where the song came from? Uh, Turning Toward the Sun? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, I had actually uh, had the genesis of the, of the song before, um, before my cancer journey, and as I was in chemo, I, I had mentioned it to my, my friend Steve Barton, who co-wrote the song with me, and, um, you know, we talked about it a little bit, and after I started going to... Uh, the, you know, getting treatment and everything, he and I started uh, working on it. And, uh, of course, it took on a whole new um, a whole new meaning and a whole new direction <laughs> because of what was happening. Well, let's cut away to the song. Um, and, uh, well, here we go. This is uh, What's the name of the album this is from? Dandelion. All right, this is Turning Toward the Sun from Dandelion by Brandon Schott. Here we go.
Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I just burned my thumb on my lighter. <laughs> Brandon, thank you for being on the show. We love having you as always. Um, where can people get your music or learn more about what you got going on? I guess the one stop is uh, brandonshot.com. Uh, there's links to Facebook and MySpace on there. Um, and I'm on iTunes as well. And, as, and uh, yeah, that's the best place to find me. Come well, on, come on back too, and tell us all about what it takes to break into the LA music scene. Exactly. All the sordid stories from from the road and gigs and all. And who that you slept too. with? <laughs> well, mostly uh, that. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to start writing that down so I can uh, keep uh, track of it all. Please do. <laughs> yeah, bust out that old black book. Oh boy. <laughs> Good luck, my friend. We'll be in touch. Take care of yourself. Thanks, Thank Brandon. you so much, guys. See you Brandon Shot, everybody. <laughs> all righty, and now it's time for our. Uh, our second guest here. Let's cue this up. Lori Meadoff is the CEO of Fran Drescher's Cancer Schmancer. Cancer Schmancer is shifting the national health care priority from finding a cure to lowering cancer mortality rates through prevention and early detection. Cancer Schmancer empowers women and men to transform from patients into medical consumers. Learn to detect cancer early when it's most curable and advocate for their right to health at the local and national level. Prior to Cancer Schmancer, as co-founder and CEO of Chat Ventures, Lori, uh, she executive produced the critically acclaimed web series Hometown Baghdad. My old job. Lori is also the founder of the City Kids Foundation. Please welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, Lori Meadoff. Thanks for being patient with us. We love to run oh, late. No problem, no problem. How are you? I'm well. I was very moved by that interview and uh, by the music, and I uh, appreciate the sharing. And where are you right now? I'm in New York. Fran's in California. I'm in New York. Half of us are uh, cancer schmancer in New York and half in, in L.A. Is it warmer there or here? No, I'm in New York. I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> she, she's freezing her butt off with the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but wasn't it like 30 degrees in Florida yesterday or something? Something ridiculous. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. None she of lo- those blood thinners were working in Florida with those she, old people. She, lo- she <laughs> loves Brandon's song uh, so much. Hi, Lori. It's Lisa Bernhardt. How Hi, are you? Lisa. Good to see you. Good to, good to see you almost. Yeah. <laughs> you Skyping? Yeah. 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 And, uh, she, that song of Brandon's was so beautiful, and then we segue right into... Uh, that nice 80s flashback tune. Yes. Matthew, we might have to talk about an update with the music here. What's wrong with my... you criticizing my segues. <laughs> Come on. Anyway. Well, I could have gone to this one. I might have preferred that. That's the yeah. also song. All right. We well, you, I hope you have the theme song of the nanny coming on soon. I don't know. I was, I was afraid Fran would get mad if we did that. No, she's great. <laughs> no. We love the theme song of the nanny. Love you. So tell us... So Cancer Schmancer... What is what is on deck for you guys? What what big things uh, are coming up? We have an amazing year. You know, I'm the new kid on the block, and I knew Fran and was a friend, and um, was actually helping her find a, a new exec for the company. And the more I watched her in action, and the more I saw that she's the, almost the perfect storm, galvanizing Washington, the media, women, men, crossover, old, young. I said, you know, I'm going to jump in here and I'll help build this with you. And I'm I'm so proud of what we've done in, in such a short time. Um, Fran reaches millions of people. And what we've launched this year, and this is what we're so excited about, we have these early detection Fran vans going out. And what we realized is there are a lot of free services um, for 
immigrant workers or uninsured, but people weren't getting the word out. And so we've partnered with local groups, Inner Images in California, and with the New York Department of Health in New York. And we're launching Fran vans, early detection vans, so there'll be PSAs going on. We'll be training young people both in Los Angeles and New York this year, and we'll be hopefully driving the numbers up of early detection because, as Fran says, stage one is secure. So the Fran vans go out into communities and they reach other people and give them information about it? Well, we not, only, we not only give information, what's so cool, we do testing. And huh. so we partnered, our partners in our images service 120 locations. So they'll bring mammography machines out, they'll do cervical and transvaginal ultrasounds when needed, and there's you know, a, a big push on the PSA and the local level to get people understanding in different languages what's available to them. And so it's using the celebrity of Fran and also her really stances every woman and her story to really get the word out and back it up with services for those who need it. And there's follow-up, God forbid, people are testing. For so how can, you, how can you catch up with a Fran van? You can't just hail it in the street. How do you, uh, no, that'd be no, awesome. You'll, you'll <laughs> you win actually, money if you go inside it? <laughs> it's going to start, um, we're starting now this month, and they'll be uh, on our website uh, you'll be able to click on the Fran van and find out uh, what the number is and actually what communities it will be in. And then there's an 800 number that you can call and literally decide what tests you need and if you qualify, whether it's free or, or at cost. So if you, if you find something, do you say, it's not a tumor? No, no the, the very, you know, that was our first, first thing. If we find something to make sure that there were support services for women, and um, we have that in all the partners. I mean, that's actually one of the biggest things in choosing our partners is who exactly, you know, is, is very committed always to making sure that there's follow-up for everyone. So this is just one aspect of what we're starting is the early detection Fran vans. And then we're partnering with MTVU. Um, so we'll be doing, you know, they have these things called stand-ins where yeah. – Someone will come in and all of a sudden teach a women in health class, so we have Fran going in to do that, and then we'll do a lots of education in different college campuses. And then also uh, we're working with Safe Cosmetic um, Bill right now. Uh, Fran has just launched a Fran brand, a skincare line that is really healthy and um, really good for you, and so we're very involved in advocacy work as well. Well, I have I have two questions for sure. you, and Fran just called in, so we could bring yeah. her on and have the both of you on. Oh, let's but, yeah. um, <clears throat> the um, the first question I had for you is actually the second one's about young adults, so we'll bring Fran on because she was in her early 40s when she was diagnosed. But this idea of you know the cure is still getting cancer and not dying from it with quality and meaningful survivorship mm-hmm. is a hard pill to swallow for the average person who's been socially saturated with magic pill cure and pink for like 20 years. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of cultural backlash you've gotten from people by, you know, sort of inferencing the fact that you still have to get cancer to be cured and that it's not realistic to think that it's, you know, that that, that there's a magic bullet that no one's ever going to get it? You know, I think this is um, what we're trying to do as an organization is move people 
you know, to really understand how to listen to their early warning whispers and, and to really be vigilant around their health care. I mean, we know more about buying a cell phone and what we are eating and ordering than we do of what kind of questions to ask the doctor. And so it's a process of really stepping up and educating ourselves and being vigilant about it. And Fran talks amazingly about, you know, what she learned uh, from this. And, and what we're finding is, is the more we step up the program base, the more people are really resonating with it and teaching their moms, their grandmoms, you know, and teaching their children. And, and as Fran always says, you know, if, if you don't as a mom take care of yourself, what good are you to the family if you're six feet under? So, you know, things like that are really, really important for us to take this message out. And, Lori, talk to us just a little bit about uh, your background, too. Do you have a television and, and how you sort of hooked up with Fran in the first place? Yeah, I, my background, I, I've founded the City Kids Foundation, so I've done multicultural youth work for years and kind of uh, been a movement builder and uh, did a lot of in, uh, television called Chat the Planet, linking young people in one area from Iraq to America, Iran, uh, South Africa, in dialogues. And that's why I was so fascinated when I met Fran that she really always saw, you know, this, the cancer schmancer, as a movement of people that were medical consumers, that were very informed and vigilant and teaching each other. And that's where I felt there was such synergy in the kind of work that I've done that I could bring a lot to the, the, the organization. And the team of the uh, staff that we have are just phenomenal. So we're about partnerships, we're about real programs, and we're about real change. And as you mentioned, uh, when Fran talks, people listen, because quite honestly, who cannot hear Fran? She's, <laughs> <laughs> she's got a great voice for getting a message across. Well, speaking Absolutely. of Fran, Lori, I just want Fran's on the line. She's not live yet, but I okay. want you to actually say uh, publicly that it's okay that I introduce her with the nanny theme. Oh, it's okay. You you can introduce us. <laughs> then it's, then it's all your fault. Okay. All right. Well, well I have no thank choice. Thank you here. so much. Thank you so much. Well, stay on the line. Stay yeah. with us. Okay. Stay on the line. Oh, yes. Good. Okay. Let's see if we can make this work here. She was walking in a bridal shop in Flushing Queens till her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing scenes. All right. Coming up, Emmy and Golden Globe nominee, best known for her role in the CBS hit series The Nanny, author of Enter Whining and most recently Cancer Schmancer. Fran Drescher is the president and visionary of the Cancer Schmancer movement, a nonprofit organization that Lori Madoff was just talking about and the CEO of, to ensure stage one diagnosis for all women with cancer. She is the recipient of numerous awards, most notably the John Wayne Institute Women of Achievement Award and the Albert Einstein College of Medicine Spirit of Achievement Award. She's so awesome that the U.S. State Department named her a public diplomacy envoy for women's health issues. Please welcome Fran Drescher. Oh! Hi, everybody. Hello, Fran. Hi, Fran. Hey, Fran. Hi, Lori. Hi there. Hi, Fran. How's everybody? Can you believe I was able to get your bio in exactly to the length of the opening introduction? That was oh, that's fabulous. It's admirable. And I, you, can, you can intro me any day. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> now, I was um, Lisa uh, Bernhardt has been working in uh, Entertainment Correspondent and TV Guide and... Um, We've never, I've never actually you interviewed, met, I'm you met thrilled, I was an editor of TV Guide, I was an entertainment reporter on Fox News, I've never interviewed Fran Drescher before, this is the first me, and I'm very excited. Wow, well, I'm thrilled too. So you, you've got a, a very lofty official uh, kind of government diplomatic title that you hold for, for women's health, is that right? Um, yes, I'm a public diplomacy envoy for women's health issues. Nice, that's great. 
and 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 in that capacity, how do you how do you see yourself? How do how what, what's your job well, description you there? Well, you know, I, I you know the State Department works on an in, on, a, on an international uh, level to kind of um, help other countries with the uh, I guess American way of. Uh, and uh and to integrate some of our advancements and um and and create a more peaceful uh, harmonic uh, relationships with other countries and so because I'm an international celebrity and you know people know me pretty much all over the world and I have a compelling story of survival um you know the state department uh, felt that uh, I would be of some advantage if I can go out and speak the way I speak as a the president of the cancer Cancer movement uh, to speak to women all over the world about taking control of their body, female empowerment, uh, recognizing the early warning whispers of the cancers that might affect them, knowing what tests are available, um, getting out of the Victorian sensibility that if you can grin and bear it, you must do so because your family comes first. What I tend to do is give women license to realize that when they put when their families first, they're really putting them last because they're useless to them if they're six feet under. So you know. How do you? Can I jump in for? I know Matthew's sure. jumping for it. He has a question. He's chomping at the bit here too. But I'm I'm a firm believer in what you're saying. Of being a breast cancer survivor myself, I always felt that your relationship with your doctor is fifty fifty. You got to come. To, you know, you know your body. You're living in your body. Something doesn't feel right. You got to take care of it. What do you say to so many people out there who, you know, just kind of just don't want to know? They still want to put themselves in the hands of the doctor and say, figure it out. And they don't sort of get involved and take that control. Control. How do you convince them to do that when it's such a scary thing? Well, you know, I, he, here's the thing, and everybody's going to do what they're going to do. I can only guide them in a direction. And for me, it seems like to live as an ostrich is making a, a huge mistake because you can deny it for a certain period of time, but after a while, the day will come when you can deny it no more. And at that point you really um, better uh, hope that you're not in an advanced stage of cancer because uh, your ch- your chances of survival are greatly diminished as a consequence of you deciding to stick your head in the sand. And so women really have to start conditioning themselves that they feel something that's a little bit funny. They know it's not normal. It's easy to deny. But what we have to start telling ourselves is, um, you know, this, might be nothing, but God forbid it's something, I need to catch it in stage one when it's most curable. The whole thing about Cancer Schmanza, which is different from most other organizations, is that we're dedicated towards early, early detection, because for us, stage one is the cure. And this, you know, trillions of dollars being plowed into trying to find a cure, we're focusing on what's the cause. We're trying to create a world that's less toxic and uh, cancer-free, through uh, identifying what's, what causes cancer, living more preventatively, catching it early so that the woman can, you know, recover very quickly and go back to being, uh, you know, uh, the caregiver to the child, spouse, and the elder in almost every home worldwide. Fran, if I could stop you right there. You know, I mean, we met almost like in 2002. So we're talking eight years ago we first met. So much has changed in the cancer landscape with regard to the, the push being less about cure and more about quality of life. 
But with the young adult movement, and you were in your early 40s when you were diagnosed, you know, obviously we represent a movement that's sort of like teenagers, college students, 20 and 30-somethings. The barriers to early detection in our age group are very differentiated from those in pediatrics and, and the general adult population in geriatrics in that <clears throat> on top of the, the uh, invincibility complex that we tend to have by putting off things. I mean, I was diagnosed with brain cancer after being misdiagnosed for six months, but I didn't think anything was really wrong with me, and I just overcompensated for what was wrong with me. You know, I was given Robitussin for brain cancer. How mm -hmm. do we essentially, or what, what do you see as a, a possible solution to the barriers of lack of insurance, lack of health care for people in our age group, or that doctors, not necessarily their fault, but it's not best practices through the medical education and curriculum standards in this country to train, you know, residents, interns, and fellows who become, you know, family practitioners to realize that cancer can and does happen in young adults and to, to educate them that symptoms and symptom identification in our age group needs to be thought of very differently because cancer is practically an entirely different disease. Well, you know, we're starting the um, We the Future uh, campaign with um, the Cancer Schmancer Movement, and that is really dedicated to galvanizing young people to make a really loud voice on Capitol Hill through the Cancer Schmancer Movement and let our elected officials know that um, young people are getting cancer. In fact, younger and younger people are getting cancer. So typically... Uh, were uh, thought of as only for older people. And so, um, you know, I think that it's really, th that's going to be a, a, a pivotal kind of, from, from a lobbying and legislative point of view, I think that when we get all the voices of young people who are ready to roll up their sleeves and fight for a cause, to make this their cause, and see this as a difference is really going to be very illustrative to our elected officials that this needs to be recognized as a deep and serious concern because there is not enough attention being paid towards uh, cause and prevention. And uh, our young people deserve to have a uh, future uh, that is not toxic-free and cancer-free. And uh, so that's that certainly is one thing. Um, then beyond that, I think that you know all roads lead to education. Educating parents is is important because you know we have to realize that going for second opinions should be de rigueur. Everybody, nobody should take one person's opinion when it comes to your life. I don't give anyone power of attorney over my money. I certainly shouldn't do it over my body, and neither should you. Uh, naturally, it, it's it becomes a much um, greater uh, uphill battle when a young person has cancer because because of their youth, their cells are reproducing so fast. If you get a 90-year-old that's diagnosed with cancer, odds are they're probably going to live out the cancer, and the cancer is not going to kill them. Uh, it you know it could happen, but their cells are reproducing at such a much slower rate that the cancer is not as threatening as it is to a young person. And uh, I, I really point. think yeah. that we, we have to start tackling uh, cause. I mean, I didn't grow up carrying a cell phone in my pocket or on my belt loop, but the children of today at 10 years old, they're already doing it, and they're, not, and they're holding it up to their ear. Glued to the head, and, yep. 
you know, the kind Well, you know Deborah Davis. You work with Deborah Davis. I know that you guys have a great – she's a huge fan of the show. She's been on the show numerous times. And, you know, The Secret History of the War on Cancer is an incredibly powerful, controversial book that is raising awareness for why we should stop racing for the cure and race for the cause. I could not agree more. I mean, you know, I, I was just thinking to myself today, um, after speaking to somebody that, you know, works very hard to try and find a, a cure – and raises a lot of money to try and find a cure. And her, she, I mean, this is an exact quote. She said to me, and she's very influential, uh, and she said, you know, until there's a cure, uh, we really have to support the science. And, you know, I didn't want to say anything to her. I said, God bless you for what you do, and, you know, whatever, more power to you. But in my head, I'm thinking to myself, what cure? As long as we keep exposing ourselves to all these toxins, we're going no. to continue to get cancer. And so if by some miracle you figure out a cure for cancer, which, you know, since Nixon waged the war on cancer um, in the 70s, we've spent like $200 billion. Where's the cure? Right. So, you know, it's, we just, you know, and cancers mutate. They get strong. They, they change. They twist around, you know, sooner we'll figure out one thing. You're chasing your tail. It's wag the dog. Right. Too many too many different types of, of cells there to deal with. But, Fred, let me, let's go into, uh, you know, you touched on that you're somebody who is recognizable the world over. Give us a glimpse of what happens when somebody like yourself gets a diagnosis, uh, somebody who's a, a famous celebrity, the decision when to go public with it, will it hurt your career, advisors around you, publicists, agents. I imagine you get all sorts of input from the folks around you, and it's a tough thing to sort of make a decision when to go public, how you want to go public, fears about your career. Can you speak to that and what that was like for you to go through that? Well, you know, I have to say that I hadn't even reconciled after two years and eight doctors when I finally was told it, 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 in fact, I did have cancer, you know, the next week I was in the hospital getting major surgery, and I hadn't even really wrapped my mind around uh, what that was and what the ramifications was for a woman to have a radical hysterectomy when she had not had children yet and all of this, and I was already outed by the press. Right. Um, and, you know, when my manager came to my hotel, uh, my hotel, the hospital. <laughs> That's a nice hotel. That's a nice hospital. You get the country yeah. club treatment? I think it's a nice way to, to slip and look back oh, on I it know. now. That's a euphemism. <laughs> I was the concierge at that hotel. Well, yeah. Was it that because they had the inquirer, somebody they had seen you go into the hospital, and so it was, it was uncovered yeah, that way? Yeah, you know, I was registered under a different name, but yeah. I guess there's so many employees there and someone just sold me out sure. and uh, and uh, you know in my never ending quest to turn lemons into lemonade I have to say that it was a blessing in disguise because I might not have opted to take such a front center role in the cancer world had I had the opportunity to just sweep it under the rug, make believe it never happened, and go back to business as usual. But because it became so public, I had to deal with that and uh, deal with the fact that everybody knew that 
I'm a person that had cancer. And so, you know, and it really took me a long time to realize how long it was going to take me to heal yeah. from the surgery because I kept getting invited to events and this and, go, you know, going up and on this. And finally I said to my assistant, you know, please just let's wait till I got the surgery on June 21st, and I said let's wait till November before we even contemplate accepting anything because I just kept accepting and canceling, thinking, oh, I'll be better, I'll be better, but I wasn't. I wasn't feeling like myself. I wasn't better. It took me a long time to recover from that surgery. It took me a long time to wrap my mind around the fact that the uh, cure for my cancer almost felt like a punishment in itself. And wow. the most cathartic thing that I did was write the book Cancer Schmanza. But I have to say that, you know, um, I'm not glad I had cancer. I don't wish it on anyone. But I am better for it, and sometimes the best gifts come in the ugliest packages. There have been many, many silver linings as a consequence to um, really, you know, hitting the lowest ebb in my life. And, and even in the years that you've that you've been public with your uh, illness, I mean, there were certainly far fewer. I mean, there were celebrities who were out there who'd been ill, but many, so many more in recent years. Um, so was it, did you have fears about that in terms of your career? Were you received any differently by your peers and treated um, any different, or I by people who hired I went, you? I remember I went to a uh, baby shower that was uh, going to have a lot of industry women there. And I didn't even feel like going because it was on November 4th, which was my wedding anniversary, and I was at that point divorced. Yeah. And uh, I just, you know, I didn't really feel like going, but I had it in my head that I think that it was time that people saw that I was alive and well and kicking, and uh, so I went. And actually, I met one of my best friends at that party, and she, too, had a year before, been to my oncologist, also had the radical hysterectomy, was a stage one survivor of ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. The um, the guest of honor, who was, you know, pregnant, nine months pregnant, <clears throat> said, oh, friend, you've got to meet my girlfriend, Melinda, because she had the same surgeon as you and the same surgery as you. And this is like the last thing I wanted to be reminded of at this party exactly. was yeah. that I had had cancer right. and by this woman that is pregnant when I no longer was able to. And uh, my girlfriend, Melinda, actually had the same response. So we said a quick hello and then went in opposite directions. <laughs> but as I'm sitting there in the living room watching, you know, like just another little baby T-shirt get opened up in a box and all the women ooing and eyeing, I looked over my left shoulder, and there was Melinda standing between the living room and the kitchen in the hallway, in the doorway. And I thought to myself, you know, i got to talk to this woman because I cannot sit here and, and ooh and ah another baby top or baby toy. Oh, you know, it's just too painful. And so I went over to her, and, uh, you know, we started talking in the kitchen without everybody around us and we forged a bond and you know it turned out that we not only had the same surgeon and the same surgery and neither of us had ever had children but we share the same birth date Whoa. September wow. 30th. and she said only you know um, 
you're two years older than me. And I said, how do you know? <laughs> and she said, well, I got a birthday card that listed celebrities that shared the same birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, so it said, what year you were born? I said, they listed the year. Oh, fantastic. There's <laughs> nothing sacred. Nothing sacred. I was say, well, that's worse than being outed for the cancer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, you know, now that I'm a survivor, actually every birthday is a You're gift. You're proud. Very Ab- Absolutely. You know, Fran, one of the best parts of the Stupid Cancer Show is we have a live chat room. And right now we've had some of the largest numbers in the history of the show in the chat room. Many of them are, are, all of them are huge fans of yours. And they've been asking questions. So if we could spend the remaining 10 or 15 minutes of the show uh, giving you questions that were asked by your fans in the chat room, would that be okay? Yeah, I think that maybe it'll have to be like a little bit, maybe even under 10 minutes, if that's okay, because I do have another... We don't want to let go of you. No, no. (laughs) I'd be happy to come back. Oh, we'll have, have you back. Any, all right, well, let, let's limit it to three questions, okay. Jack. Go ahead. Okay. okay, or maybe I'll make my answer shorter. I tend to go on and <laughs> Yeah, we'll ask ten we'll, questions, yeah. but it be one-word answers. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> hey, Fred, this is Jack, and uh, I just celebrated my two-year cancerversary of my diagnosis two days ago. I had stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma, and, you know, I was diagnosed as a stage four where I should have been diagnosed as a stage one or a stage two. Um, so my treatment and everything I went through is still fresh in my mind because I'm only like a year and a half removed from the end of my treatment. And one of the questions we got in the chat room is something that I actually am in tune with and I'm very curious about. Uh, how do you feel about the fictional? Uh, That's not a word. Fic- fictitious? <laughs> fictional. Fictional? What did I say? You said fictional. The clock is ticking. Uh, we only have Fran for so much longer to spit it out. <laughs> about the, the fictional portrayals of cancer on television, um, you know, like Hollywood's rep- representation of the cancer experience. That's a good question. And the one that, like, sticks out for me was, like, Catherine when, Heigl in when, when, Anatomy. Yeah, when, when, when uh, Izzy went in for brain surgery and came out with a full head of blonde hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, I really, I don't think that I'm, I'm really, I can really comment on that. I actually... Uh, starred in the 100th episode of um, Strong Medicine, which was a series on Lifetime. And the producers of that show were very dedicated to trying to make the uh, story as authentic as possible. And basically it was a similar story to what I had, only didn't, you know, turn out as well, unfortunately, for the woman that I was playing. And uh, she, while she was dying ended up uh, going to uh, to uh, court to sue the health insurance agency that um, ma- made it prohibitive that she get certain screening tests when clearly it was something that she needed. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that episode. I think that, of course, if you've been through cancer and you know what the truth of it is, Anything that is uh, dramatized on television is not going to speak truthfully to you, most likely. But on a more broad scale, most people don't really uh, have the first-hand experience. And I think that anytime television is going to bring focus to a problem, um, we should welcome it. I mean, you know, there has to be some kind of dramatic license and and some, um, you know, part uh, entertainment has to factor in. 
And that's just the way it is. I, you know, I, I think it's more important that we focus on reality than on the dramatization of the disease. That's a great answer. Yeah, Jack. Yeah, um, that's true. That's, I mean, that's 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 very. It was that's not very a monosyllabic answer, but it <laughs> is my answer. Well, the thing is, I, I think we just don't want Deborah Winger being the prototype of what right. the public thinks cancer is. You know, from terms of endearment, we don't. That's not what it is anymore. But I think that the general public. That well, I prefer I prefer to uh, educate the public to transform from being a patient into a medical consumer. That's more important than how you know a sick or dying person may be portrayed in a movie. We have to start taking control of our body. The very word patient implies passivity, and that those days are over. They're so 20th century. Now we're in the 21st century. So you know, I, I just think that. It's how we change the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about doctors who are not gods. They're very busy people. They have their own problems at home. And at the end of the day, when the doctor calls and tells you you have uh, cancer, you know, uh, you go home, he goes home and eats dinner with his family. You go home and eat your heart out with yours. So whose life is it anyway? It's our responsibility to be more well-informed. You know, we put more energy into the buying, selling, and repairing of our automobiles than we do our own body. And those days are, have to end. Researching what laptop to buy, exactly. Jackie? Yeah. Fran, yeah, Fran, there's a, there's a comment in the chat room I want to make you aware of. It's from 14-year-old Veronica Reyes from Florida. Mm -hmm. And she says, uh, well, she asked, how does it feel to know that you are inspiring young teens to make a difference because you have inspired her to make a difference? Oh, I, I think it's fantastic, and I'm absolutely thrilled to hear that. And I think that she should write to me at cancerschmanza.org because we're starting, you know, the We the Future uh, program uh, this year, and it's going to be incredible. And, uh, and I would like somebody like her to uh, join the movement because we're going to have, like, a whole branch uh, dedicated to young people and I'm going to be like the Pied Piper, and we're going to go to Washington. <laughs> we're going to go to Washington, and we're going to make a great big noise. And even though young people are unsung heroes because they're not old enough to vote, so they don't often get the kind of attention from our elected officials that, let's say, a deep-pocketed lobbyist might get. Of course. I think that, uh, you know, uh, with me at the helm and a million of them behind me, we will get noticed. A fantastic friend. We have uh, one last question here. I guess that's all we have time for. But we want to talk about your career and what's coming up for you. Uh, mm -hmm. But before I do, did you watch Charles Shaughnessy on Mad Men? He was on. He had a great part on this uh, yeah, past I season know. of Mad Men. I, he is fabulous. I absolutely love him, and we keep in touch, and we hang out sometimes, and he's very supportive of the organization, and we have a dear, wonderful, ongoing relationship. That's great. For the two people out there who don't know who Charles Shaughnessy is, he was your co-star. Mr. Sheffield! He was on your other sitcom, Life with Fran, as well, right? Yes, Living mm -hmm. with Fran. He played my ex-husband. He played your ex-husband. Yeah, so, I love him. I would work with him any day, every day. That, that's great. He did a great job on Mad Men, too. That was cool to see him there. Yeah, so what's he's the, terrific. Yeah, he's, he's, he's great. So career-wise, tell us, um, outside of Cancer Schmanzer. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I am very busy, actually. I'm about to start an animated film for Sony, which is very exciting, and I can't really talk about it because 
Uh, it's all top secret. As long as we can come to the red carpet. Uh, Yes. (laughs) And uh, I'm about to do a television pilot for A&E, which will be a little bit of a um, reality show that focuses on all of the things that I'm involved with. Fantastic. And uh, I have a skincare line uh, that I sell exclusively on Home Shopping Network called Fran Brand, which is all natural and a natural extension of my women's health advocacy because I felt that the skin is the largest organ in the body and it's high time that a, uh, a, a product line be made available that's affordable to the every woman that she can put on her skin and trust that it doesn't have carcinogens in it and is made for her best interest. So Fran Brand Skin Care is available on HSN and HSN.com. And, um, and is it true that you thought about running for office? I know you're a Hillary Clinton supporter. Is that somewhere in your future? Yes, I think so, down the line. I, you know, I, I had thrown my hat in the ring to consider uh, her seat and uh, wasn't appointed, obviously. And then I decided that I... uh, certain other opportunities came up and I thought that I might be able to be more influential in um, my fighting for the greater good with women, with civil liberties, education, all that. Um, If I'm on the air and I'm speaking my speak. So so that's what I'm I'm doing uh, right now and by the way, part of the proceeds of, of Fran Brand does go to Cancer Schmancer. So when a woman buys Fran Brand, she knows that it's going to perform great. It's going to, um, it's animal cruelty free. It's all made in the USA. It's natural with organic ingredients. And uh, 2% right off the top of total sales goes to Cancer Schmancer. So good skin for a good cause. And Absolutely. if you ever come out with a Fran Brand breakfast cereal, I'll be the first to buy it. <laughs> ah, that's a good idea. Uh, well, yeah, thank you yeah. so uh, much. We know your time is valuable. Well, we really I appreciate it. you understanding, and I thank you and your audience for uh, supporting me and everything that I do, and you're all great, and I wish you good health and long life, and I hope everybody logs on to org and joins the movement. So we can have a louder voice and be more effective on uh, Capitol Hill. And uh, check out Fran Fran on HSN.com. You got it, Fran. Take care, Fran. We'll see you soon. Lori, too. Thank you you guys for being on the show. Take care. Thank you. Bye. All right. Good night. That was All right. Good stuff. Makes me want to go get detected for something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. Just for just for old hair, you have to do it again. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's a, it's a great theme song. It is a great theme song. She threw her hat in for Hillary's seat. That was pretty impressive. Fran Drescher. That was really impressive. Hmm. Well, um, that brings us to the end of an extraordinary show. That was a good one. That was fantastic. We have to have happy her back. I, I'm happy I did come back. I'm glad you did. No, I mean I wanted to. Obviously, we could just have her on the show for an hour, and, and it would be nonstop questions. I would love to bring her back on a future cosmetic show because we always talk about how cosmetics, you know, all this skin care Will it make stuff me good looking? No, it will make you uglier. Damn it. But the whole point is that most nice cosmetics... Nice try with that mascara tonight, though, Jack. Yeah. It almost worked for Thanks. you. Thanks. It's You're from the Marilyn good. Manson collection. Not good. Not good. But that all these cosmetics out there, that there are toxins and chemicals in the 
you know, in the cosmetics that, that can cause cancer or have been shown to decrease immune systems and they're produced by major brands that support breast cancer and that there's this organic, you know, cosmetics movement. I'd love to have Fran back on the show. I'd also love to have Fran on the show with like a, a, a senator or a House of Representatives individual so we can almost have like a roundtable about the healthcare debate and just, I think that'd be a fantastic show. Well, why doesn't she just get her good friend Hillary to come on? That would be a coup de grace to get the Secretary of State on the Stupid Cancer Show. <laughs> <laughs> we could do like Letterman did with Oprah, where he just campaigned every single day yes, to get Oprah yeah. on and the like, show. And like Ellen to get on the cover of O Magazine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We could, just, we could just do that with, with Hillary. What Hillary. do you think? I'm, I'm down with it. She lives in Chappaqua. I pass it on my way home. <laughs> so you're willing to stalk her is what, you, yeah. what you're saying. All right. Hillary yeah. Clinton yeah. must come on the stupid cancer show. I just let's, have to wear my, start the social my body movement, armor. Ladies and gentlemen. We've got to have Fran back on when that reality show is tag, uh, trailing her. Totally. That'd be fantastic. Then, we have to, then she'll be here in New York, and we'll have her in the studio. Yeah, and I could wear the mascara for a national audience. That's exactly it. You'll be the uh, the male spokesperson, the yeah. hand, hand model. And I'll have my brand flakes, my, my Fran flakes. Your Fran flakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. My Fran brand. That is so not okay. Who knew that Fran could keep you regular? That's she right. was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens, till her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing scenes. What was she to do? Where was she to go? She was out on her fanny. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> Speaking I of nannies, Matt. Along. Speaking of nannies, Matt, won't you need a nanny in a few months? Oh, don't worry. Don't bother. Don't don't remind me that I'm having twins in five months. And you found out what they are. <laughs> yes. Humans. No, like didn't I announce that on last? You did it. No. Oh, for those of you out there that are not aware, my wife and I are having twins in June, and we found out the uh, the gender. We are having a little boy and a little girl. A no, little girl and a little boy. I'm gonna, round of applause. I'm gonna give myself a round of applause. So she's carrying a little girl and a little boy. There's a little girl and a little boy inside my wife right now. Very, very So exciting. I guess it wouldn't be the first time she had a little penis inside her, huh? Oh, Jesus Christ. That All gets right. one of these. You know. That's so bad. Just when I thought it was safe. <laughs> it's not a tumor. Oh, God. <laughs> that That's... is Schwarzenegger, right? Uh, oh. Oh, yeah. Yosef. All right. I think that concludes this part of the broadcast. What do you say? I think we're done. Is this now the Yiddish hour? What are we? What are, I give up. <laughs> what are we moving into with this? I don't know. All right, now it's time for our closing sequence. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray! I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo! You done it again. That was so terrible. I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that's tonight's show. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd love to thank our guests, but I just can't. I'm kidding. Brandon Schott, Lori Meadoff, and the lovely Fran Drescher. Amanda Freeman, our broadcast production assistant intern, live on the chemo deck tonight. Next week's show, Charity 2.0. In the medical spotlight, Dr. Adam Dockman, young adult cancer advocate, former board chair of the I'm Too Young Brothers Cancer Foundation, and a phenomenal cancer uh, concert pianist. Ravine Lichtenberg, young adult cancer advocate, founder and chief strategist at You Strategy, social media blogger. And Beth Cantor, nonprofit consultant and author and blogger at Beth's Blog. If you've missed any of our previous broadcasts, check out the archive at stupidcancershow.com or subscribe to our podcast at iTunes. 
to i2y.com. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week, my friends, live from the chemo deck. Jack Buffard, Lisa Bernhardt, Captain Stewie, and I wish you all a phenomenal week. Go to bed, Leah. Fucker out. out.